everyone. I'm Harriet Hendel, and this is Pursuing Justice. We've spent the last three weeks focusing on wrongful conviction, highlighting an organization called Centurion Ministries, formed in 1983 by Jim McCloskey, who was our guest the last three podcasts. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Richard Miles, an exoneree who was helped by Centurion Ministries. Richard, I'm going to let you tell your story. Where and when did it begin? Thank you, thank you. I'm just honored to be a part of, the, of this opportunity. And my name is Richard Miles and um, I'm 45 years old and at the age of 19, you know, I oftentimes say that that's the day that Richard Ray Miles Jr. died. Um, I, I had just been dropped off from, with a, from a friend um, in Oak Cliff. He drove me from Oak Cliff to North Dallas, um, spent the day with my girlfriend and he was going to visit his girlfriend later on that night, which was right around the corner from where I stayed. Um, and as we got to her house first, I paid him $5, which was the initial payment that was asked before we left. And I remember getting out of the car and I'm from Dallas, Texas. And so we were in North Dallas and I walked up this street called University and University connects to Lemon Avenue. And I'm walking down Lemon Avenue and I probably stayed about three blocks from where I was initially let out of the car. Um, walking down Lemon Avenue, I made a turn on Bluffview and called my friend James to tell him to unlock the door. It was probably about 1.30 in the morning. By then, um, crossed the street and I noticed a police car was sitting kind of idle right there on the side of the road. Didn't pay any attention to it and walked on by. The next thing I heard was a helicopter and a light shined on me. And, I, and all of a sudden, from nowhere, police cars came and I heard the demands of get on the ground, get on the ground. And, you know, I'm laying down on the ground and I'm telling the police officers who I was with that night. And they read me my Miranda rights, put me in a police car. And that was pretty much the last day that I saw freedom. Mm. And my life changed at that point in time. Um, I remember they took me to a Texaco uh, and they, when I got to the Texaco, uh, they took me out of the car and I'm looking around and I see the police lights and I see the ambulances, but nothing is really registering in my head because I hadn't did anything. And so um, somebody come up to me, came up to me and they put some stuff on my hands. And I later learned that that was a gunshot residue test, mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't told to me at that point in time. The next thing I know that I'm, I'm taken to the homicide division, and that's when I'm introduced to a detective. And the detective tells me that I am the suspect in a murder, an attempted murder. And he asked me why I had been that day. And, you know, this was back when um, cell phones had not really came out and people knew people's phone numbers. And, and so I knew every phone number to the people that I was with that day. And so I gave the detective uh, Ernest's number. That's the guy that drove me from Oak Cliff to North Dallas. His mom's number, 
Um, that's where we were at. Um, his girlfriend's number, my friend James, and my girlfriend who initially stayed in the apartments where both stayed, the detective left out of the room. He stayed gone for probably about four hours. And he came back and said, Richard, your story checked out. All the alibis said you were with them. He said, but we have a witness that say they saw you kill one person and shoot another person. You're going to be arraigned for murder and attempted murder. Mm. And at the age of 19, I was um, ushered off to Lou Sturrick, which is the county jail, um, assessed a bond of $350,000. And my next call that I made was to my mom. You know, kind of sitting here thinking about it, it, you know, it's certain certain things still kind of give me, uh, you know, give me the chills about it. But I'm uh, sure that that's what happened. I, I remember calling my mom. I had I had just graduated from high school, you know, at the age of 18. Yeah. And so I was um, pursuing college. Um, I was going to go to TSTC in Waco to take up plastics engineering. Mm-hmm. I kind of love plastics engineering. And so I always thought that the next call that I made to my mom, I always thought that the next call that I made to my mom would be a call letting her know that I'm on my way to college. But I'm calling her to tell her that I was arrested for murder and attempted murder. Wow. And, and, and what kind of, of representation, legal help, did you have uh, at your disposal then? Yes, ma'am. We... Um, we had court. I had a court-appointed assistant attorney. Mm-hmm. You know, financially wise, we we did not have the resources. You know, so we were resorted. We resorted to the court-appointed system. Uh, my dad, God, God rest his soul, he was a, a minister, and and he really believed um, that the system was fair. He believed that if you told the truth you know, um, the the system will support you in the truth. And so um, I met my court-appointed attorney very early on. I stayed in the county jail about 17 months. Oh, wow. That's a long time. Yes, ma'am. So from May 15th all the Mm -hmm. way to October 1995, I was in the county jail. Um, And I probably saw my court-appointed attorney about three times that whole stay. Um, I was encouraged, though, by, by my court-appointed attorney because he he would, he was telling me all the evidence. And he was like, he's Richard, they have 10 witnesses. Nine of them are saying that you are not the suspect. The description of the shooter does not fit you. The description is 6264. We see that you are 5658. The description is real dark, complected, and slim. You're mm-hmm. a your light, your brown skin, and kind of stubby. So physically, I didn't fit the description. All of your alibis uh, are going to come testify. Um, he said, but I don't know what this one witness, it was one witness that said that they saw me. Um, and so I was very uh, encouraged mm-hmm. during those 17 months uh, from what my attorney was telling me. Um, jury trial came. In August of 1995, I remember I had just turned 20. Uh, my mom and dad, and my brothers and sisters were all um, in the courtroom. And uh, I even remember the victim's families um, that was across the aisle. And, and 
that's still a, um, an interesting day because after a seven-day jury trial and all of the evidence was brought out, you know, I was given a total of 60 years in the Texas Department of Correction. I was given 40 years for murder and 20 years for the attempted murder. And at that moment, you, you can hear a sigh of relief from the victim's family side because they mm -hmm. felt justice was served, sure. but you could feel the weight of an injustice on my family side because they knew I was innocent. And so justice really was more of a word at that point to me. Um, some of the things that kind of came out in jury trial that um, Centurion, uh, and we can talk about later, was able to uh, dissect was the gun ballistic test, uh, gunshot residue test that was done on my hands. It came mm -hmm. back positive in the palm of my right hand, but mm -hmm. negative anywhere else. So positive in my right hand, but negative anywhere else. It was brought out in jury trial that A, with the amount of shell casings that was shot that night, it should have been an overwhelming amount of gunshot residue. Anything on, on my clothing, more than in the palm of my hand, and the fact that I'm left-handed um, mm -hmm. was also a factor. Uh, but I think it was a um, it was a coincidence because all of the all of the witnesses testified that the shooter shot with his right hand. So the fact that this gunshot residue test only came back positive in the palm of my right hand was just uh, very interesting. And I wrestled with that for the duration of my time. How could this test come back positive? And I had never shot a gun a day in my life. Just, it's just remarkable, and we hear this again and again, that the evidence didn't match what really happened. That you, you're just describing this opposing evidence, and it should have exonerated you. But why, why didn't it, Richard? What, what do you think happened that you were convicted anyway, even though the evidence was not strong? It you know, I, I think it boils down to society's trust and belief in the systems. Mm -hmm. we, we have, society has a trust and belief in the systems in which we should. Um, but at the same time, I think that there should be standards that we uh, want systems to reach. Prime example, in, in trial, reasonable doubt should be the factor that allows a jury to determine if a person should be um, found guilty or innocent. And when I look at my case, um, I can't point my finger at, at the court-appointed attorney or the prosecutor or the, the arresting officers. I think that everybody had a hand to play all the way up to the jurors. Um, and so to your question, I think that's what happened. The jurors felt because this evidence was presented, um, it was true. Um, and they cast all thoughts of reasonable doubt to the side because they trusted the people more than they trusted the facts. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Now, I, I absolutely want to leave uh, time uh, to talk about you know, what you did after you got out of prison, 
um, Centurion stepped in and exonerated you uh, in 2012 after serving 15 years. And it only took them two years, which is record time, right, to overturn your your case. But while you were inside um, serving those long 15 years, how what was that like for you and how did you use your time? Yeah, so um, walking into, I did all of my time on Cofield Unit and Cofield is one of the biggest prisons in Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, over 5,000 men on this one unit. Uh, and very early on, I, I remember walking up Cofield, um, this big brick and glass structure, and they escort you to the barbershop. And I meet a guy in the barbershop, and he's cutting hair. His name is Ben Spencer. And Ben, the conversation to everybody was, you know, where are you from and how much time do you have? And I told him, I said, man, I'm from Dallas. My name's Richard. I said, man, I got 60 years for a crime I didn't commit. After everything was over with, Ben told me about Centurion. He said, man, my name oh. is... He said, man, I'm innocent. He said, these people have been working on my case mm. for the past 10 years. He said, man, they are the only ones that do non-DNA cases. And so in 1997, I sat down and wrote Centurion a letter. And they wrote me back, and to your point, uh, the letter was very generic, and they basically said it would be about 10 years before they would oh. actually be able to get on my case. However, I had just been given 60 years. And so what happened was Ben really taught me how to maneuver through the system. He told me, man, if you're going to fight your case, if your direct appeal get denied, then you have to start studying the legal work because you have to file your own writ of habeas corpus 1107. And so I found myself, you know, outside of working and going to, to college um, when I could in prison, I found myself in the law library. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was in the law library that I connected to other innocent men. Oh, the guy that actually taught me how to shepherdize cases, the guy that actually taught me about Strickland versus Washington and Herrera versus Collins, his name is Ricky Wyatt. And he worked in the law library and he was innocent. He's been exonerated uh, since then. He, I think Ricky did over 30 years in prison. Um, but the crazy thing was I was incarcerated with probably about eight men that have been since released from prison on Cofield unit. And so when you asked about how I did my time, I, I did it with a lot of men that, A, some of them were guilty and they were strong men, but some of them was innocent and they were stronger men. And so they yeah. really guided me through this process of incarceration. That's fantastic. I, I know so many people who live in the law law library, uh, and, and it's vital. It really is. And and you taught yourself many, many things that I'm sure you had no knowledge of before you came into prison. So yes, wonderful. What a, what a true blessing Centurion is, and how wonderful that that man told you about it, because uh, you, you might not have known about it. But uh, just 
there, there are no words for an organization like that and for all the Innocence Projects across the country and the world. So what I, I want to absolutely get to is um, what happened after you were exonerated and released from prison at the age of 34. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So after, uh, I, you know, I kind of bounced back to um, in 2007. In 2007, I got a letter uh, from Centurion, and that's when I kind of knew that my case was going to open up, and I didn't know how long. Um, and when Jim and Cheryl came to visit me, um, they encouraged me to stay optimistic, and it was 15 months later mm. that actually walked out. The shortest, the fastest case that they have ever worked on. The, the fastest before me was Miss Joyce Ann Brown, which is my mentor. Um, but I walked out 15 months after they accepted my case. And to walk out of prison after going in and at the age of 19 and coming yeah. out 34, and when I went to prison, I had just purchased a beeper. When I got out, iPhones was everywhere. <laughs> That's just on a minute scale yeah. of how lost I was, just the overwhelming sense of of being handicapped because it's not like in prison you're still interacting with society. You're totally disconnected. And so to thrust a person back into society after there has really been no uh, mingling it's very frightful, and so it was. It was fearful for me. I was blessed, and my my mom was still alive. My dad had just passed six months before I got out. Uh, thankfully, Jim Jim McCluskey was able to visit him in the hospital, and he told him that they had found the evidence, and the district attorney's office was in agreement, and I would be getting out. And they told me right after he heard that news, he closed his eyes, and my my dad was a very uh -huh. Uh, he was a very uh, a vital part in my plight for my freedom. And so getting out of prison then was, I think, was important for my family, my mom. Um, but at the same time, um, I was blessed to have that, that support from Centurion as well. You know, I know that there are a lot of organizations out there, but, you know, when I got out in, in October, the next year I'm being flown to Princeton just for an engagement um, with other exonerees, and, and that was just another family for me. Um, and so I, I think that my transition was was helped with my family, and it was helped with the support of the people that had continuously believed in me after my release. That's wonderful. So you you. Um, received compensation from the state of Texas, which um, Texas is out in front, uh, giving $80,000 per year for every year you have been wrongfully incarcerated. And you did something incredible with that money, and I want you to tell our listeners what you did. Yes, ma'am. So, you know, February of, of 2012, I was finally uh, proven actually innocent, exonerated. Um, and at that point, I was eligible for compensation. And um, when I got the compensation, I remember that night I was sitting 
in my in my, my apartment and I was thinking and say, you know, the money didn't mean anything to me because it came from a very dark place. Right. You know, I think of the compensation, I think of what was lost and it was no value uh, to, you can't put a value on that. And I thought about my dad and I was like, how can this money be impactful? And so we started an organization called Miles of Freedom. And Miles, while it is my last name, it stands for Motivating, Inspiring, Law-Abiding, Enthusiastic, and Successful. It's mm. what we inspire people to be that we interact with. Miles of Freedom is an eight-year nonprofit organization, and our mission is to provide holistic services for individuals, families, and communities impacted by incarceration. Um, to date, um, I am just honored to say we've served a little bit over 5,000 um, individuals impacted by incarceration. Um, we have a produce distribution service center that we've distributed a proud 700,000 pounds of produce to individuals uh, in the Dallas community. And that's a great asset during COVID. We are still an essential organization. Um, and we provide transportation for families to visit their loved ones um, that are incarcerated. And to me, it's, it's therapy. Um, while I know it probably helps a couple of people um, I, I don't think I could ever get an apology back or anything, um, but to see people um, assisting in lives changed after incarceration, it, it gives me purpose for my pain. Oh, that's wonderful. And it's so, so challenging to come back, as you well know, uh, into society and your organization fills such a, an important uh, need. That That is wonderful. And you are also a CNN hero, um, which uh, that's a program on CNN that uh, I think it usually comes around December, um, telling, um, you know, uh, championing people who have done some creative things for others, and and that you you were one of those. When when did you um, when when was that that you uh, um, you became a CNN hero? We have just a tiny little bit of time left. When nope. when when was that, Richard? Two thousand and nineteen, last year. Oh, last year. Oh, wow, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> And uh, when you are a hero, you can, uh, you know, attract people. They can give money to your organization. So Miles of Freedom is uh, a, a great group that you started. And uh, it's going strong, I, I guess, right? Very strong right now. We are. Yes, ma'am. This is a great year for us, even with everything going on. Yes, ma'am. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. So we, we have to wrap things up shortly. Um, what... What message do you have? If there are people listening who have walked uh, down the road you have walked, what, what would your message be to them? You know, at the end of the day, I, 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 I want people to know that hope is a rare commodity. But when you have it, it's the most valuable thing in the world. That's, that's wonderful. And certainly Centurion gave that hope to you. And how lucky, how lucky we all are. Richard, to have you and, and the organization that you started, uh, what a great thing to do with that 
compensation money is to help others who, who you know, had the same pain that you had and make their journey back to society much easier. Um, I want to thank you so much for being on the program today and what a, a great ending to our four podcasts, three of which were uh, with Jim McCloskey and you uh, brought up the, uh, the end of the podcast with your personal story. I wanted to also say that the next time I have um, uh, State Attorney Andrew Warren and Teresa Hall from Florida who started a conviction integrity unit that Jim McCloskey mentioned. And there are a few of them popping up all over the United States. So uh, we look forward to hearing from them and their uh, attempt to solve some wrongful conviction cases. So we, we've raised awareness across the, uh, you know, across the country with this problem. It's a big one, but at least it is being paid attention to now so much, so much more now than when Jim started way back in 1983. So thank you, Richard, so very, very much for spending time with us today and telling us of your inspiring story and the, the wonderful work that you do. And please keep, keep doing the great work you do. Thank you. Thank you. All right. See you next time on Pursuing Justice. What's it doing? Designing my new 2021 Nissan Kicks Online in the Kicks Color Studio. I give each a special name. This one's electric blue, orange, red, white. I call it the gumball machine. You think it's me? I feel like you're more of a red velvet guy. Limitless possibilities. With over 100 million available color combinations and Bose Personal Plus system in the boldly new 2021 Nissan Kicks. Bose is the registered trademark of the Bose Corporation. Color combinations include interior and exterior colors. Customization is an available feature subject to availability at participating Nissan dealers. See dealer for details.